This is the Customer Equity Accelerator. If you are a marketing executive who wants to deliver bottom line impact by identifying and connecting with your revenue generating customers, then this is the show for you. I'm your host, Allison Hartso, CEO of Ambition Data. Every other week, I bring you the leaders behind the customer centric revolution who share their expert advice. If you are ready to accelerate, then let's go. Welcome, everybody. Today's show is about the rise of the new C-levels, and I'm talking about CDOs, CROs, and other creative title changes charged with extracting business value from data. To help me discuss this topic is David Matheson. Dave is the CEO of the CDO Summit and the CDO Club. He is the world's leading expert on CDOs and CAOs, and he's been quoted by CNBC, The Financial Times. Forbes, MIT, Sloan Management Review, and a whole bunch more. Dave, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me on, Allison. I appreciate it. Now, I understand that you have a very interesting background where you saw this coming perhaps before any of us did. Yeah, it's kind of interesting. I started incubating the CDO Club when I was managing director at an executive search firm in New York City. Around the 2010 time frame, at the time, there were only a few dozen people with that exact title, chief digital officer or chief data officer. And of course, now there's all kinds of hybrid titles and chief analytics officers and CDAOs and CDDOs. But at the time, there were very few. So when you say not many people were paying attention, I think the big groups that should have really been paying attention to this, one would be the analysts. So the Foresters, the Gardners, McKinsey, et cetera, of the world. The other big group should have been the executive recruitment firms, mostly for the latter, because they like to bring on new searches, new employment searches in the C-suite, because those people usually get 500000 in salary and up with salary and bonus. So a recruiter typically makes 30% of the first year cash comp. So with $150,000 incentive, if you can carry 10 or 12 searches a year, you could bring in over a million dollars for your firm. Now, if you've got 10 employees at your firm, that's a nice little paycheck at the end of the year. So we were a little bit ahead of the curve at that firm. And basically what I did was I told the headhunter, the principal, hey, look, there's a trend happening here. I really think you ought to pay attention to it. I'd really like to focus my search practice on it. And they completely encouraged me. They were really supportive. And by the way, so was Gartner. You know, if it wasn't for Gartner, Gartner, the first call I made when I saw this trend was my old friend Dave Aaron and Peter Sondergaard over at Gartner. And they knew that, well, their CIO base, their CIOs were at risk. If they didn't reach out and grab these new opportunities, and by that, the responsibilities of digital transformation, number one, and number two, data and analytics, then they were going to be outsourced because all of IT was being outsourced at the time to the cloud and to India and to other places in the world, and a lot of the responsibilities of the CIO were disappearing. So this was a great time for Gartner to actually galvanize their base. So in combination with us and with Gartner and with the blessing of that recruitment firm, Janice Elig and the Elig Group, I jumped out on my own when I realized this was exploding. And by the way, the real test for me was in 2011, I I was invited to the Harvard Club to do a presentation to a group of Fortune 50 CHROs at the Harvard Club. And it was so well received that at that point, I just decided to, with their permission, I jumped out of Elig Group and I started my own company. And it really has exploded since then. But we're at the point now where we went from just a few dozen people in the world with that exact title to now there are thousands and thousands of people throughout the globe with that title as well. So the timing was right. We certainly were a little bit ahead of the curve. 
And we did get a little bit lucky, Allison, in that the acronym for Chief Digital Officer and Chief Data Officer is both CDO. So we got a little bit lucky in that the Chief Data Officer growth has now, but since 2015, Chief Data Officer growth has far outpaced the growth of Chief Digital Officers. And we can dig into all that if you'd like later. Oh, yeah. Well, did you know there was a difference between Chief Data Officer and Chief Digital Officer when you started the CDO club? Yeah, well, in the beginning, it was really focused more on digital because there was a lot more happening at the big incumbents on digital transformation. They were hiring these people like crazy. We all know that there have always been data scientists in the tech world and in that field for quite a long time, but they didn't galvanize around the chief data officer title until around 2008. So for those two big groups, chief digital officers and chief data officers, just to answer your question directly, we targeted the growth of chief digital. But I was always seeing that the data was growing faster than digital. And that turning point, those two curves kind of inflected around 2014 when chief data officers just exploded. And there has been no let up at all. Whereas chief digital officers made playing off and we're seeing a little bit of the sectors that were disrupted later are now hiring chief digital. But the check sectors that were disrupted early, like media, publishing and music. We see they've already brought in maybe one, maybe two, maybe even three rounds of chief digital officers. But now they're pretty much digital from the ground up. And so we're seeing in some companies they're not relying on digital. And in a lot of places, we're seeing chief digital officers become CEOs. On the data side, the real growth there took place in 2008 when the world financial crisis hit. And at that point, it was pretty clear that it wasn't this. The limitation on digital is that they're really only being hired by incumbents that are faced with disruption. On data, the market is huge, right? Because it's not just incumbents. Every company in the world, every local government, city, state, even federal, needs people who are in charge of their data program. So that's why we're seeing tremendous growth on the data side. Got it. So let's just clarify for everyone who doesn't know, what is the CDO Club? Yeah, so I started the CDO Club in 2011 on LinkedIn. And we received so much demand that we brought it out on a, as a web portal in 2014. And right now, at the time, it was the world's largest and first ever group for chief digital and chief data officers. And it continues to be the biggest in the world. But the community consists of mostly C-suite groups, right? It's The titles include mostly chief digital officer, chief data officer, chief analytics officer. We also have all the hybrid titles, you know, CDAO, CDDO, as well as CTOs, CIOs, CMOs, CEOs, and board directors. We have a bunch of sort of aspirational people at the senior level, like senior VP or EVP, who are trying to become CDOs, but we don't go too far down the stack. Like we don't have a lot of operationals people or VPs and under managers and directors. It's mostly C-suite. And it is global. Our database is strong in North America, Europe, UK, Australia, and Asia. And it's weak, just like in every country that has a weak tech sector. We're not seeing too much of this title being adopted in like, for example, Africa, except for Northern Africa and South Africa. We're seeing limited exposure in the Middle East, although some of those countries are exploding now. And we're seeing very little in South America. But other than that, pretty much every other region is exploding, especially on data and analytics. So would it be fair to say the purpose of this group was to form a community that could learn from each other? Yeah. So we've created the community first. And then at the first event in 2013, we were the first to ever do an event for chief digital and data officers. It was at Reuters. And I can say that the overall resounding refrain and between all the delegates was, thank God we've got a place where we can empathize, where we can learn from our peers, we can find out best practice. 
practices. In those days, there were no real communities or even events where you could pull all those people together. And it was a real relief, I think, to those people to find out that there is a group that's kind of making heroes out of the people that are doing well and explaining their best practices and the kinds of things that they're working on as exemplars towards the rest of the people in the community. So it would be fair then to say that the group was set up to bring the community together. Exactly. There was no community for chief digital or data officers. So we created the community first on LinkedIn, brought it over to the web, and it still is the largest community of these C-suite executives in data, digital, and analytics. And I think our events, too, helped to do that. You know, it was a place to bring people together where they could actually share best practices, commiserate, and learn from each other. And it's been very successful. People love to learn from each other. There's nothing better than creating a community. So kudos to you for doing that. But I have to say that I saw this Forbes article that was essentially saying, and it was several years old, so it was probably 2015, 2016, maybe. And it said the role of the chief digital or chief data officer was basically an undefined mess, an impossible role that would soon disappear as when companies figured out where that role really belonged and the fact that bringing in a CDO wasn't really going to solve any particular problem for them. So I imagine you have a lot of opinions on this, but maybe tell us why the role is still here. Sure. I mean, the interesting thing is we send out a monthly update on CDO hires. And I started doing that in 2014. That's six years ago now. The reason I did it was really to throw it in the face of the analysts who were basically saying, you don't need to hire a chief digital officer. I fought that fight in 2013 and 2014 and 2015, really because I was a tiny company and we're a little bit on the defensive. And I wanted to really show the world this position is important and it does have legs. And Gartner was very supportive of this, as I mentioned before. There were other analysts who weren't. So what I did was I said, well, I'm going to put up a monthly update that shows all the companies that have hired CDOs and all the companies that are looking to hire them. And also where these CDOs have gone. If they're disappearing and some analysts are saying they're not that important, well, then stop tracking them. But for me, I tracked them and now they're becoming CEOs and board directors. They're becoming even more important. So I don't go into those battles. And by the way, you mentioned it's on Forbes, but anybody can be a Forbes author now. You don't have to have the, you know, they have the imprint behind it, but it could be anyone who's trying to get a clickbait headline to get them to click on an article. So I stopped responding to those kinds of articles because I used to have authors and journalists and analysts like CMS Wire. Every time Forrester would come out with a report, they'd say, Dave, do you want to refute this or give your opinion on it? And it got to the point where it's just ridiculous because that author, I would guarantee if you go back to that Forbes author and you say to them, can you give us an update on the CDO situation? They didn't have any data before. They haven't tracked it like we do. We track it every single day. And the fact is just one supporting document is that in the month of January alone, in a very slow month, you had chief digital officer hires at Microsoft, Bayer, Pharmaceutical, Panera Bread, Chubb. These are not small companies, Allison. And if that article is four years ago, why did Microsoft hire a CDO in 2020? You know, why did Panera hire a CDO in 2020? They're still being hired. So I kind of ignore those articles only because the authors usually have no accountability. They have no facts. They're trying to put a headline to get people to link onto their article. And then five years later, they don't go back and say, hey, we made a mistake. There are still CDOs out there. So we just continue to churn out the updates to show anyone who's work, who's interested in looking into it, they can look into it. If they want to do a clickbait article, it's certainly up to them. But I ignore it because why give power to people who are not doing the actual research? We're doing the actual research. 
So it's just not worth our time anymore to refute any of that stuff. Just go to our website. You can see the companies that are being hired. So I want to talk about what kinds of companies are hiring CDOs. But before we do, roughly how many CDOs and CDO proxies do you think there are out there? It's for Chief Digital, you know, we're tracking at least 5,000 people with that exact title and hybrid. So that could be Chief Digital Marketing Officer, Chief Digital Information Officer, Chief Information and Digital Officer, Chief Digital and Data Officer. They're all kinds of hybrid titles. And so on data, it's even bigger. So we're tracking about 7,000 people with the titles of Chief Data Officer, Chief Analytics Officer, Chief Data Scientist. The majority of those are chief data scientists, and that the scientist title entails that they don't have any management responsibilities. We track the CDO title because they're usually responsible for a whole team of analysts and data people underneath them. And that's the group that's growing like wildfire. As I said before, the limitation on hiring new chief digital officers is that they're mostly being hired by companies that are being disrupted, whereas on the data and the analytics side, every size company is hiring people to manage data. And it doesn't have to be an incumbent. It can be a startup as well as a federal, state, local government, federal, and nonprofits. They all need data people. So there's a real challenge on the data side to continue to get seasoned executives who've got experience in that role. So we don't see that going away anytime soon. And so if you were going to say that you mentioned these are companies that are being disrupted, some of them are government, some of them are public companies. If you had to break it into a horrific pie chart, I only say that because we all know that pie charts only are allowed so many pieces of pie. What would be the density for different types of companies in different areas? Like if you had to say government has what percentage, just roughly? Yeah, it's always a photo, though. It's a snapshot, not a video, right? I mean, I could take a snapshot of what it looks like right now. And I have been asked this question at every period through the history, right? In 2013, it was mostly for digital. It was mostly media, publishing, music, entertainment, right? MTV was the first ever company to hire a chief digital officer in 2003, right? They were feeling disrupted by Napster and peer-to-peer. And NBC Universal hired the second ever chief digital officer hired. That was in 2004, is right after MTV, because they just figured, okay, if music was first, to be disrupted, long-form entertainment is next. But now, as I mentioned in January, you had companies like Cognizant, Chubb, Bear, McDonald's, Microsoft, Panera, and Sainsbury's. You can see a difference. There's no media companies in that group. There's companies that are in retail, food and beverage, McDonald's, Panera, Sainsbury's, a grocery store, right? Chubb, insurance, Bear, pharmaceutical. It's all those companies that were a little late to disruption and didn't really feel the impact until 2013, 2014, 2015. So now if I were to take a snapshot on data, digital, it would look a lot more like tech, sports, things like insurance, all the regulated industries. They weren't affected because they were regulated by digital, but now they're getting disrupted like crazy. So banking, insurance, pharmaceutical, they're all hiring digital. I can give you that same snapshot for data because it's a little different and interestingly so. On data, if you would ask me in 2013, the real hires in data were the opposite of digital. They were all in the regulated industries. Why? In 2008, we had the world's financial crisis. Government stepped in to all these companies that said you need more oversight and governance over your data. You saw a requirement that chief data officers were hired in not only companies, but in federal, state, local governments. So we saw tremendous growth in those fields. And it's only now, though, that we're seeing the data officers being hired in some of the unregulated industries, right? So media, entertainment, they're all struggling to get these qualified data people on board. But it was the bigger growth in that market was in the in the municipal space in the early days. So interesting difference. But now it's all come together. And now we're seeing both digital and data people being hired at just about any company. 
And by the way, I said that most digital people are hired by incumbents. Now we're seeing even YouTube and you know companies like Pandora, you know, which you think of startups and disruptors, they're actually being disrupted, especially by blockchain. So I believe that if I were to forecast ahead, I would argue that we'll probably see a lot more uptick in chief digital officers at the at the startups as well, quote unquote startups. Yes, definitely. I think there's a lot of startups. We had the CDO from Poshmark, Barca Saxena, on the show not too long ago. And I think that really gave them a lot of juice when they put that role in early, allowed her to build out very strategically and then leveraged everything that was built for just the hockey stick of growth that they went up. So I would agree with your forecast there. But could you talk a little bit about the responsibilities? You alluded to this before, but the responsibility of a chief digital officer versus a chief data officer. And one of the things that you said that I think was particularly important was the management role. And that's different from a chief data scientist. Right. So on digital core responsibilities, and again, it's kind of like how long is a piece of string? It all depends on the company the sector, their competition, and what the president of Time Digital called the turning radius. You know, if you're in a ship, how quickly can you turn that ship without capsizing it, right? So for digital, I would say the core four responsibilities would be they need to be, number one, finding products with new revenue streams, usually dragging analog concepts to the digital online world. Number two, they need to cut costs, using digital for improved communications, efficiencies, et cetera. Number three, they want to improve customer service to be everything through chatbots, online attendance, et cetera. And number four is operational efficiencies. So that's maybe for Cisco was improving supply chain. So for every one of those four, you're usually finding companies bringing in a chief digital officer for all four of those. But it all depends on the company that they're parachuting into. And a good example is Wenner Media. They do Rolling Stone, Us Weekly, Men's Journal. They brought in three CDOs in the course of three years, and they all failed. And the first one they brought in, when they brought him in, the CEO, Jan Wenner, said publicly, very famously, I'm not going to support the iPad. So how do you drag a company like Rolling Stone from a print magazine to a digital platform when they're not even going to, when the CEO says they're not going to support the iPad? So he left after a year and then they brought on another one for a year. And so every company is different and at every sort of stage in their evolution, it's going to be different. So Cisco is a good example of number four. They don't really have their customers or their suppliers and their partners. So for digitization to them meant improving the supply chain. The IRS is going to have a completely different set of requirements for a CDO who hops in there and tries to digitize the IRS, just like they did with HMRC in the UK. But those would be the four core. The difference between digital and data is data people are generally brought on for a number of different reasons. And again, depends on how far the company has gone in their data implementation. But usually they're coming in to, number one, get a data strategy in place and set. So that means they've got to get data architecture, the correct data governance. they got to be processed do this all within the regime of privacy and security regarding everything from GDPR to the California privacy policy that's been enacted by the state. And then once they've got their data architecture, governance, and strategy set, then at that point, usually a year from now or whatever it might be, they're really bringing in all the real-time insights and analytics onto that data. And that could be a whole new different set of skill sets that you'll need, or maybe you have those skill sets internally. And I've seen a lot of chief data officers take on the hybrid title of chief data and analytics officers because what I feel is happening and what I think they're seeing is the real strategic role is going to be in analytics and not so much data. Data is going to get kind of boring once you get the governance and the architecture set. There's nothing there to do except keep the lights on. 
it's real-time analytics and insights that's going to create competitive differentiation. Well, at least until the next blockchain thing comes out. I can see that. Exactly. And, you know, in a way, I can almost see an existence of both roles or maybe a fluidity between the hybrid being what happens when a company has the data dialed in and is looking to move up and become stronger from the data. But then I think it's almost an agile process where new tech comes out, new innovations come out, new data systems come out, and all of a sudden you have to kind of tilt back to that side of the coin and say, oh, are we going to be on the iPad or not? Yep, I completely agree. And it goes back to these roles. I think when we originally discussed, there are a lot of C-suite roles out there, chief innovation officer, chief revenue officer, chief sales officer. How do you differentiate and how do you clearly define what the roles and responsibilities are for everyone in the C-suite so people don't feel competitive or they don't feel there's a threat, but they're all working together for the same common goal? So we do see these hybrid titles pop up. Chief Digital and Data Officer. In my mind, Allison, the people who are best suited to become CEOs in this digital world are people who have those three core skills. One is they understand digital transformation. Two is they understand data-driven culture. And three is they understand insights and analytics. That's why that sort of hybrid role of chief digital data and analytics is so important. And those people are not, this isn't a forecast, it's really happening. Those people are actually becoming CEOs and board directors of publicly traded companies. So that's why I think it's important to track the careers of these people and see what roles they're taking on at their organization. Because I agree with you 100%. You really can't get a core digital transformation strategy if it's not built on a solid foundation of data, insights, analytics, and also, I would argue, privacy and security. Yeah. And I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I always think that's a really good sign in that when a CDO is moving up to the board level or to the CEO role, there's a certain amount of sensitivity that comes into the organization. Forget if it was Gartner or Forrester that was going on and on about the age of the customer. And now we're in the age of the customer. And so often we see this come out as customer experience, which always bugs me because it's not very specific. It's as if just having a great experience walking into a lovely store is enough to hit the bottom line. And what I think a CDO brings is that laser-like focus that says, now we're going to think about this as, yes, we want a good customer experience, but let's think deeply about the second and third order operations that drive really good quality for our customers according to the things they need and where they are in their relationship with us. Would you agree with that? I totally agree. And it also explains those movements, not so much of CDOs to CEO and president slots, but CDOs to publicly traded board slots, because there's a lot of investor and shareholder scrutiny over putting a new person on the board. And you really have to prove your bona fides. And so right to your point, why would somebody like Adam Brockman, so Adam Brockman, he was chief digital officer and EVP at Starbucks for years, you know, seven or eight years, and he joined the board of Neiman Markets. So how does a guy on a retail or a food and beverage become a board member of a clothing company? I mean, it shows the strategic value that these people have. And some other examples, Charlie Cole, he was a CDO at Toomey. Toomey bought, got bought by Samsonite. And now he's CDO at FTD. I mean, it's very rare that a C-suite person can move from sector to sector with such agility that I've seen CDOs move. 
And I think it's a reflection of the fact that if you can bring an analog company digital in one sector, you could probably do it in another. Another good example is Jacqueline Wright. She's currently CDO at Microsoft. She just joined the board. James Kofner, he's charge of CDO at Toyota Auto, uh, Robotics. He's now board director at Toyota. And even at the startup, Sheila Jordan is a CDO, chief digital technology officer at Honeywell. She just joined the board of Slack. And by the way, we saw of the 13 CDOs who became board directors last month, nine of them were women. So the majority of the board directors were women and CDOs. We just love this. And again, I think it shows the importance of this role. It goes beyond the company, beyond the sector. They're being brought on board specifically for their strategic value and helping companies rise to the challenge of the digital and data age. Yeah, I think that's exactly right. And that's a really amazing insight that at the executive level, you have almost that it might even be a 50-50 balance. I don't know. I haven't counted. Maybe you have, but it sounds like there's a lot of traction. It's not about whether you're a man or a woman. It's about what you're able to get done. Exactly. By the way, if you, while 101 CDOs become CEO, it doesn't sound like a lot, given that there are only a couple thousand, you know, 10,000 people with that exact title, compare it to the hundreds of thousands of CMOs and CIOs who never make that leap to CEO. What's different about the CDO that prepares them for that leadership role? And so what I did was I just scratched the surface. I looked into every one of those hundred CDOs who became CEO and board director. I looked at all their LinkedIn's and their CVs. And in fact, if you scratch the surface, they were all previously president or CEO before. So it's not like they came up from a marketing track or they came up from a tech track. These people are business builders. So it's only natural that they went from CDO to CEO. They've actually been CEO already. In the majority of cases, I would say 65% of them were previously president, CEO, or executive director. Oh, that's really interesting. And kind of continuing along that line, I think it's interesting that you mentioned CMOs because I think CMOs is one of those roles that has a very high turnover rate. Is there also a similarly high turnover rate for CDOs? I mean, you mentioned Rolling Stone before and having three CDOs over the course of three years. It doesn't sound like that's typical. What is typical? Yeah, so I did that. It's a good question. I'm glad you asked it because, again, we were battling. I won't mention the names of some of the analysts, but they were basically saying there's a turnover in CDOs. So I went and I did the research and I found we had a three to five, for chief digital officers, you had a three to five year tenure at incumbent. And some of the outliers were like, you know, the guy, uh, Adam Brotman at Starbucks. He was there for seven years. Ellie Hirschhorn was CDO at Simon & Schuster for six years. The guy at the BBC was there for six years. And then you see the people who are only there for like one year stint. I would say that while it's not as bad because CMOs for a time there, it was like 24 months. It was getting the revolving door was really, really quick. I would say that I think the reasons that the tenure was low and is slightly low as well in CDOs are completely different than the reasons for the low CMO tenure, right? I think CMOs are being challenged because they aren't hitting their numbers. With CDOs, there's a lot of reasons they would leave after a year. And the, the one with Leonard Media was a good example. Who would want to stick around when your birthright is? digital native and all you think about is disruption and your CEO is saying he's not going to play ball, I mean, you're not going to stick around. And also there is the shell game where CDOs are moving because there are higher paid opportunities. There are a few of them. And so the demand is high, the supply is low. They're going after the golden ring. So a lot of them are just grabbing the next best job and moving up and up, not necessarily because they didn't fulfill their mission. But most of them do stick around for three years. Most of them are brought on in a contract. They have a budget. They have a headcount. They're dedicated, you know, headcount. They're directly reporting to the CEO. There's no threat for them to leave, and they'd like to see that the job gets done. 
But there is, I would say, too, there is an even quicker turnaround to what we're seeing in chief data officers. Chief data officers are jumping around really, really quickly now because there's so much demand and salaries are going through the roof. Now, there's got to be some kind of certification process, I would think, or validation process that comes in over time because everybody's throwing the title on their LinkedIn resume, whether they have the experience or not, because it's just clickbait for executive recruiters. We really want to make sure that we're getting those people who have 10 years, 15 years experience underneath them before they start throwing that title around. That's how crazy it's getting. Yeah, that makes sense. And you've mentioned the importance of CEO support a couple times. And I imagine if you're the chief disruption officer, meaning CDO of digital or data or any of the hybrid titles, that CEO support is maybe more than valuable, maybe critical. Is that the number one challenge for this role or are there other challenges that a person coming into that role would really have to be careful with? Yeah, the biggest challenge is the culture. Technology is easy. The culture is the hardest to change. You really want people in this role who have strong IQ, strong managers, team leaders, people who could tell the team, let's go take that hill. No questions asked. They follow them wherever they'll lead. But the core requirements for the job description, I would say, I do not advise any CDO to take a role where they're reporting to CMOs or CIOs or CTOs. You basically, if you're flying, if your job is the requirement is that you get certain things done, yet you have to borrow money from marketing or you have to borrow, borrow talent from IP, you're probably going to have less likelihood in getting your job done than if you had a direct reporting line to the budget of the CEO and the board and you have your own budget and your own headcount. And so that's what we usually, in our job descriptions, when we write them up for our candidates, we always bake that in and there's a direct reporting line. And we've seen that from so many examples. I don't want to give them because I'd be naming names and companies, but the ones that have been most successful have a direct reporting line budget headcount. The ones that aren't as successful have been frustrated because they're in another line of business and they don't have. And when they come in, is that direct report to the CEO also enabling their own fresh-based team or are they still matrixing and pulling across? Right. So some people are matrixing, like especially with analytics teams, right? Analytics teams may be reporting into sales. Another group may report into marketing. Another group may report into tech. We always see data as a service level organization to the whole company and not necessarily right up to one line of business. So we do see some CDOs coming in and having to get some matrix reporting from other groups, but we also see their core group is dedicated to that, you know, their, their team and their mission. Got it. Got it. Well, you know, we oftentimes talk about customer lifetime value, customer centricity, everything customer on this show. And I wanted to ask you, you highlighted the importance of this role reporting directly into the CEO and I agree with that. But what about somebody who's a chief customer officer? Is that a role that can help ease the cultural change or help make a CDO's job more successful? Or if they reported to a CCO, would they have more leverage? The more clearly you define the roles and responsibilities on the job description, you know, the better so that the CCO doesn't feel this is a threat, but they're out there to help. We generally see these groups working together hand in hand. For example, you know, we did our biggest deal in our eight-year history this quarter with IBM and one of the partners, the IBM IX organization, their agency, is doing a personalization CX webinar with Forrester and we're promoting that for them. They want access to our base because a lot of our digital and data people are either responsible or have hybrid reporting lines into CSO, CRO, CCO, and they're really trying to uncover leads. So our base does include that as well. And again, I think if you think about the core strategy for a company, 
I can go both ways on it, but I have to say that around 2014 or 2015, we gave out two CDO of the Year awards. I'll be very brief on this. But the guy we gave it to in London was a guy named Mike Bracken. He turned digital government on its head, right? When he started, he had 5,000 websites in government. He brought it down to one. You know what it's like to do that in government? And it's gov.uk, right? So instead of going to a website, if you're a business and you want to open up a company and you need a permit or you need a license, or you're a fisherman, you want to get a fishing license, instead of wading through all these websites to try to figure out where to go and you see all these pictures of politicians kissing babies and cutting ribbons, instead it's like Google. His goal, Mike's goal, was to make government service as easy to use as Amazon. Let's make a government website as easy to use as Google. And he did it. That's customer. And I gave him that award as a CDO of the year for Europe that year because his was a relentless and obsessive focus on the customer. Who's the customer in government service? It's every citizen. So he had to deal with elderly and handicapped and visually impaired. And think about it. That's a massive brief. And he did it with relatively small budget. That, to me, is a chief digital officer who understands putting customers first. And I wish that every CDO in the world and every CX person was as relentlessly focused on making their products as simple to use as Google and as Amazon. I think we'd have a lot easier navigable websites than we do now. But, but maybe I digress. No, I think we're probably on our way there, especially as the data systems get to be tuned underneath. There's little excuse for why can't that stronger customer focus take flight. But that is an incredible achievement of 5,000 government websites to one, I can't imagine. And by the way, one of the pillars we talked about, we talked about three pillars. One was for CDOs to become CEO. One was a solid understanding of digital. Two is data. Three is analytics. We talked a little bit about privacy and security, too. But I would argue that identity management is also another huge issue that has to be resolved and thought through before you really go through a massive digital transformation process. If it's not built on a solid foundation of identity management, data, and analytics, then the digital transformation will likely fail because then you're just repainting your websites, right? Exactly. And let's dig into that a little bit. So we talked about the pillars, but let's say I'm convinced that I want to put a CDO in my company and I want them to deliver on all of these priorities. What should I expect them to deliver? And for example, our goal is to improve the efficiency of acquisition and increase the uptake of our products and improve the loyalty of our existing customer base, right? Now I've got like lots and lots of goals all at once. What should a CDO be trying to deliver when they come in? Get the goal set. Make sure that you've had conversations with everyone else in the C-suite and select board members. Then prioritize that list. And then I would say after you prioritize it, take a couple of quick wins first. Get the quick wins first in a couple of different departments. Also, by the way, while you're talking with your C-suite peers, find out who the cheerleaders are. And a good example is the old pothole app, right? Every city has a pothole. Hey, why isn't anybody fixing it? You can take a picture of it with your phone, upload it to the New York.gov portal. And the next thing you know, they're out there tarring the street, right? Well, the problem was when Rachel jumped into New York City as the CDO under Mayor Bloomberg, she found that a couple of different departments had pothole apps, but they weren't. The problem with apps is it's great when you launch them, but you got to continue to update them. And somebody has to monitor them, right, and keep them going. So the devil is in the details. It's great to have a list of priorities, but reality is once you start getting stuff done. So at Rachel's case, she found out the person who had the most successful app, the one that was being monitored and being taken care of, and she just reemphasized it and really anointed that person as the person in charge of that app. She found her cheerleader, right? And you need to find all those cheerleaders that will make your job a lot easier. But the reason I say get those quick wins first is you want to show some wins quickly. You know you've got a long-term goal over a year or two years to generate X amount of revenue in digital versus print. 
And I think if you look back in 2013 and 2014 at companies like the BBC, that was their goal, right? Let's move everyone from print to digital. Let's also reimagine our editorial process and re-engage our editors worldwide with a simpler system. Those are his two big goals. He couldn't accomplish them in two months. That was going to take two years. So let's get some quick wins while we're going down the path of the bigger goals. Yeah, and that makes sense. And I love what you said about how Rachel in New York City echoed the power of somebody else inside the organization and brought that to light. Now, that might be a great example of either a quick win or something that can get more progress, something almost like clearing the hurdles for the goodness that's already inside the organization. And I always believe this. Every organization has a lot of unlocked goodness, people who are just killing it. And for one reason or another, they're just stuck. And perhaps the CDO is the one who comes in and says, hey, you've got a gold nugget over here. Let's make something out of this. And it sounds like that's what she did. Yep, Rachel made her a hero and she felt wanted and loved at a government agency. This is great. And by the way, let's not underestimate. You said how important it is to report into the CEO. Same thing is true in municipal, right? Like Rachel was super lucky that she reported into Bloomberg. You had arguably the leading technologist mayor in the world running the city, right? This guy blew out Reuters. I mean, he basically, with the Bloomberg terminal, he was the only competition Reuters had for decades. The guy's a brilliant technologist. So knowing that you've got a technology-driven CEO made it a lot easier for Rachel to get some of that stuff through. So that may be why other cities and other mayors have not seen the success that New York did. Rachel's also a really good example of somebody who went beyond digital. I think that's why I brought it up in the first place. Rachel also understood data. So her goal in the first iteration was to get 200 data sets out to the public. She ended up getting 1,000 data sets out. And then lastly, she also is really, really strong in social media. Most CDOs, they don't do a lot of Twitter or Facebook, right? But Rachel is really, really popular online. She had it all. She was digital. She was data. She's analytic. She's startup. And by the way, she also brought together the communities of Cornell and NYU. So if you want to reimagine a city, you can't do that in a vacuum. You've got to pull together government, entrepreneurship, as well as education. And she did all of it. So I wish she was still in the public sector. She's now doing some private stuff, but a really good example of somebody who gets digital data and analytics and social. Yeah, exactly. And I want to mention one more thing about the problem of being in the public sector is when she gets those data sets out to the public, you've also got a PR problem in that moment that you release the data. And that's a very tricky thing to do, right? Most private companies or even publicly traded companies don't regularly release their data sets. (laughs) Right. Do you really want to know where the most violent crimes are or rapes or murders? But in fact, it ends up turning into a positive. Although, wow, those numbers look kind of scary. It keeps people away from certain areas that you shouldn't be going in. And you never had that map of that data until Rachel distributed it to the public to allow people to do hacks on it. You know, hackathon. She encouraged all these hackathons. And now all of a sudden, you've got really interesting visuals of all that data that was just sitting in a silo somewhere. Very nice. You know, in the basement of Wall Street. Yeah. Well, Dave, this has been a really great discussion. So if people want to reach you or find out more about the CDO Club or the CDO Summit, what is the best way for them to get in touch? Thanks, Allison. Our websites are cdoclub.com and our events are at cdosummit.com. And they can always reach me, email is bestdavid at cdoclub or cdosummit.com. And on LinkedIn, I'm just linkedin.com slash David Matheson. Great. And I think you do have an event coming up soon in the end of May 2020? Yeah, thanks. We actually had a physical event coming up next week, a week into uh, May 6th. I think the recording of this will probably be too late. But we are doing something for a Forrester and IBM IX on personalization and customer experience. On And it's a free webinar. Anyone can join. 
join on May 27th. Great. Wonderful. Well, we can certainly include that link with our show notes. And as always, links to that webinar as well as everything else we discuss are at ambitiondata.com slash podcast. Dave, thank you so much for joining us today and bringing the insights about this new role and the ways people are really gaining traction. It's been very valuable. My pleasure. Thank you, Allison. Please stay safe and well. Remember, when you use your data effectively, you can build customer equity. It is not magic. It's just a very specific journey that you can follow to get results. See you next time on the Customer Equity Accelerator.